0: And welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand here, as always, with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. I want to start off by thanking you wonderful listeners who have been taking the time to get in touch with us via uh, Twitter and our website and emails. We've got a lot of emails lately, um, and it's it's really nice to be hearing from you on a on a range of topics. Um, so we've gotten a couple of messages lately that are going to be the inspiration for our main topic today. Um, but we also got uh, an anonymous email from a graduate student that we wanted to spend uh, a few minutes addressing before we get into the, the content of, of today's show. Jonathan, you want to you give the quick summary of uh, what our, what this grad student's going through?
1: Sure. Uh, so this student wrote to uh, share that they're having some struggles um, building a what they would see as a positive relationship with their advisor. Uh, they're having trouble having meetings as often as they would like, and um, just sort of not feeling like they're on the same page as their advisor. Uh, and there's, you know, so I won't go into the the details. And this is a huge topic. I think um, Julia and I have both been fortunate to largely have had a pretty positive relationships with our advisors. And so we have more experience from that end. Uh, but it's important to point out that lots of people don't. And we've heard, um, you know, over the years and including through today, we know lots of people who've had challenging relationships with their advisors. But I think, you know, that's harder to talk about. So we um, often don't hear about those examples. Uh, there was one comment that the student made, though, that we wanted to, to pull out. Uh, and I'm gonna, so quote, uh, not only do I feel like it's completely my fault that I couldn't cultivate a good relationship with my advisor, I have this looming anxiety about what I'll say during that period in the dissertation defense after the research slides are presented when the student tells a funny or meaningful story about their advisor and how thankful they are to be their graduate student or whatever. Um, And so, well, Julia, what do we say to that?
0: First, it is not completely your fault that you couldn't cultivate a good relationship with your advisor. Uh, advisors are human beings too, and some of them are better at their advising roles than others. Um, and the, the description that you give is, is not of one who is a warm and helpful advisor doing everything they can for you and, uh, and, 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 and you failing in some way. Um, this sounds like not a good relationship and based on the description you gave, it sounds like you've tried a lot of things to make it go well. Mm -hmm. Um, so I reject that it is your fault that you couldn't cultivate a good relationship.
1: I mean, I would just say this is um, I don't think I ever had this intro to psych, but I'm just gonna call it psych one o one uh it's like life one o one that if if there's a relationship between two people that isn't going well um I mean it's pretty much never just one person's fault, just generally sometimes it's like some well that's not entirely true sometimes it is but but in this case, it's certainly not your fault um and
0: then and then there's also this like the the looming anxiety about what you'll say when uh you know, in the time when people typically say nice things about their visors. Um, and I think it's perfectly, you know, it is, I think what people often do in this situation is say, I'm very grateful to doctor this and such for their support. You don't have to, you know, go on and tell complicated, funny stories, right. Just as long as you are respectful and polite, um, that's, that's, that's perfectly, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, the the other thing though, is that, uh, my guess is that people who are in this kind of situation feel more alone and feel more unusual than they actually are. Um, so so people who have great advisors tell stories, uh, funny and meaningful stories about their great advisors. Uh, and so we hear about them more. So there might be some kind of you know selection bias, uh, availability heuristic stuff going on here that it's easy to think about people talking about their great mentors, um, but, but plenty aren't. And that's a topic for a whole other for a whole other episode right like what Mm -hmm. what it means if there are a lot of people who are doing this job who are bad at it and making the lives of their trainees really difficult um but i'd also say that this is um this is perhaps not as uncommon as it may feel like Mm -hmm. i know that doesn't make it better but um but if 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 that helps at all
1: i mean the other thing is uh, i've definitely um witnessed uh advisors who seem to have really easy relationships with some uh, advisees and not others. And I, I don't think that that in the cases that I'm specifically thinking of, it was clearly no fault of the student. It was, was that by dumb luck, someone could work with that advisor and it happened to be okay. But it was really, um, you know, in that case, I would say it was sort of the advisor letting the student down that they couldn't, um, find ways to work with, with more than, you know, that type of person anyway. So if there are people in your, in your lab or your group who seem to be having an easy time of it, Uh, I also don't think that's any evidence that uh, this is, this is your fault. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, and really, I think the, most of the burden falls with the advisor here, you know, there's a power dynamic, they have more experience, um, you know, and so on and so forth. And so if you're having trouble getting this to work, uh, I would, I would, well, I would, I would, I don't I'm trying not to use the word blame. Um, but I think a lot of the responsibility falls with the advisor to, to figure it out. And if they're not doing that, that's not your fault at all.
0: Um, and, and and also uh, just to highlight a thing that you just said that some advisors work better with some types of students than others um, I also know of situations of advisors who are really great with their male students but not their female ones or their female ones but not their male ones yep. um, and so to have uh, um, and, and that is you know absolutely something that is that is uh, the, the advisors uh, yes I'm going to say fault yeah um, of, of not being able to be successful working with a variety of different kinds of students mm-hmm. um, and especially given that the, the, the modal professor is white and male, that's going to disproportionately burden minorities and women.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and so there are a lot of things that advisors need to work on as well. Um, and I mean, one of the other things that, that I find particularly frustrating about, about the kind of advisor that's described here um, is that grad students only have five years to figure out how to be grad students. Right. And it's like, you're trying to learn a whole bunch of things, including how to manage your advisor. Whereas advisors have really long careers to try to figure out how to advise well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and it doesn't seem like this, the strategy that's being described here, like there's no way this works well. Yeah. Right. And they've got a lot more time to figure it out. So,
1: I mean, just, uh, um, I, well, anyway, in, in fairness, we, we don't ever really get training on how to be an advisor. Um, and so, I think it is kind of incumbent on, on advisors to go seek that out and be intentional about it, but not everyone is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there might be people who actually would do better if they were, if they were shown the way, but, uh, but yeah, the fact that, that they're not trying very hard doesn't, doesn't seem real positive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, and, and that it may not seem like a priority, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're mm-hmm. doing badly at your research, that's a thing where people are like, Oh, I guess I got to figure out how to do this better. Um, you know, but if, but if your grad students are, frustrated and unhappy and you don't have good relationships Mm -hmm. with them. And that's not something that, that like the advisor isn't likely to know about. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Um, that's, you know, then that's, that's something that it's incumbent on them to figure out too.
1: So I would, I mean, so anyway, there's no easy fix. I think cultivating other uh, mentors is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to be, so I, I, I guess, uh, uh, depending on the situation, talking to a program director or department chair, um, might be appropriate Uh, in some situations that might not be helpful. Um, It kind of depends on who those people are, but I think I would consider it um, because you should have a good relationship with your advisor. And if you don't, you should have the support to work around it. Mm
0: -hmm. So thanks very much for reaching out and we wish you all the best. Yes. So the, the, the main topic that we wanted to cover today was also inspired by a couple of messages that we've gotten lately, which is um, people who are about to be on the job market, uh, either, you know, in the upcoming months or kind of looking ahead to the job market in a couple of years and have questions about what it is like to teach and research and work at a small liberal arts college like I do. Uh, and so we wanted to use this episode to talk a little bit about um, about the process of applying to work at what I will call slacks, small liberal arts colleges. Um, so the, the process of applying, and then also what it's like to actually work at one of these
1: places. Do you want to start with the well? Do you, to, do you want to do the opposite order, and 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 you can share a little bit what it's like to work there, and then we can talk about you know applying to do that.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, One of the reasons that I was uh, excited about these emails that we got and then happy to do this episode is that I would have loved to have this episode when I was going on the market because I had, um, so I went to Tufts for undergrad, which is not quite a small liberal arts college, although it's on the smaller side. Um, But so I didn't know exactly what working at a small small liberal arts college, what working at a Slack would would be like. Um, And of course, all of the people that I worked with Uh, during my PhD, didn't know that because they had ended up at a, at a research one in R1 university. Um, and so I didn't have much information about what it was actually like to be at a Slack. Uh, luckily there's a student, um, a grad student who, uh, was a couple of years ahead of me who had ended up, uh, at Colby college. Uh, hi, Jen Cohn, if you're listening. Um, and she, and I talked with her a bunch about it and she really like inspired me and got me excited about what it would be potentially like to be to Slack. And so I've had a number of those conversations with people in, in the past several years. Um, and so I'm now happy to be doing it for, for all of you, dear listeners. Um, so so Carlton is... Um, uh, it was, so one thing of, when we talk about Slacks is that Slacks are are not at all homogenous. So different kinds of institutions have really different expectations for research and teaching load. Um, and so what I'm going to be talking about is, is limited or specific to the kind of slack that Carleton is, um, which is, um, a small liberal arts college that is very teaching focused, but also has a lot of, uh, uh, the administration has high expectations for research, um, and also gives great support for research. Um, So, Carlton, we're on trimesters, uh, and our teaching load is a two-to-one, meaning I am always teaching either two classes or one class each trimester. Um, But I get teaching credit for supervising student research in my lab. So I run my lab. We do research. I have a bunch of undergraduate research assistants, um, and teaching, uh, supervising them in my lab, counts as one of my classes um and then when i teach my mid-level sensation and perception course that has a lab component that's associated with it and that also counts as a teaching credit so i'm i'm actually only ever teaching like one classroom class at a time mm-hmm. with with lab work um so that's you know so we say it's, it's you know it's it's like focused on teaching but it's different from some other colleges you know where people will be teaching like four classes at a time and, and not have a lot of expectation for, for doing research.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and this is something that I had no sense of when I was, when I was going on the market, I was like, Oh, liberal arts colleges, you just teach. There's no research. Right. Um, and that is the case at some and, and, and not at others. So what it is like to work at Carlton is, it's the best. I feel like I have won the job lottery and there is like no position in the world that would be, would be better for me. Um, uh, is awesome. So here's why it's awesome. I get to teach great classes of, of my own design. There is little to no oversight in terms of what content I teach and what textbooks I use and what format I deliver in. Um, so there's a lot of intellectual freedom to come up with and, and, you know, and build great classes. Um, the very best part is that I get to work with really remarkable students. Uh, I don't know how the admissions committee does it, but Carleton students are like, they are so eager to learn. They just have like fire in their belly to learn. I I hardly ever do any kind of like, come on, everybody, we should, you should learn this because it's really great. You know, they're all Mm -hmm. just like there with bright eyes, excited about learning. Um, In my first year teaching at Carleton, there was a time where a student uh, who was in my class came into my office during office hours and said, um you talked about this thing in class and you just mentioned it kind of tangentially. And I know it's not super related to what we're, what we're doing. I know it's not going to be on the test or anything, but I just found it really interesting. And I was wondering if you could recommend some additional reading for me so I could learn more about that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like thought I was being punked. I was like, Oh, you want more reading, (laughs) huh? You want extra Uh assignments, huh? And then I was, and I was like, Oh no, you actually do. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Great. Here's a book, you know, you should read this. Um, And, and so, so working with that kind of student, Um, is just a joy, right. To just get to like sit down with them and and think about how to teach them in fun and engaging ways rather than trying to like convince them to, you know, take the medicine of learning. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is awesome. Uh, and then Carleton as an institution also really supports research. So, um, there is an expectation that, you know, I'll publish that I'll publish, publish with undergraduates, um, uh, There is an expectation that I will at least try to get grants. Um, I don't, I don't like think I would have been denied tenure if I hadn't gotten a grant before tenure, before, you know, tenure. I mean, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't. It's not the kind of place where like, if you don't have a grant by tenure, you can't, you know, can't get tenure. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course they like it. They like it when you do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really like, it's a, it's a terrific kind of place to work at, because I feel like I get to put a lot of energy um, into teaching, which I love. Uh, but I also get to put a lot of energy into research, which I love.
1: Uh, well, that sounds great. Did you, uh, you know, well, I guess we're going to get into the application process. But I wonder, you know, did Carlton stand out like that when you were applying for jobs? So you know, how broadly did you, did you cast your net during the you know, job application process and, and, you know, how much of this did you know beforehand or how much did you figure out during interviews or whatever?
0: Yes. I most, well, so, so I grew up in Minnesota. Um, and so I knew, you know, like the reputation that Carleton had in Minnesota as, as, you know, being a very good school, but, um, but didn't know, I mean, certainly when I was, when I was applying, I didn't have a sense of like what the culture is for supporting research or what, you know, what this, what students are like. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of that I figured out in the interview. Although something like some things you can figure out based on the job ad, right? They usually say like how many classes you're teaching at once, and if there is, you know, expectations for research, and um, so so you can get a little bit of that. But it's really hard to figure out things about the culture of an institution without without visiting. Mm-hmm. But so so when I applied, uh, when I, I was on the job market three times um uh first to get a visiting assistant professorship at Carleton that was supposed to be a one year gig and then that ended up being renewed for a second year but not before I had was already on the market widely again um and then the third year was on the market widely again Carleton ended up um getting uh approval to open up a tenure track line that I applied for but I also applied you know, everywhere else at the same time. So mm-hmm. I, I basically applied to like every small liberal arts college that was hiring all three of those years mm-hmm. um, and was just very lucky that it worked out for me to be at Carleton, you know, that I, that I got to be at Carleton for each of those three searches.
1: When you were, I, mean, I think you've talked about this before, but but remind me and our listeners, you know, at what point um, during your PhD did you decide you were going to kind of, you were interested in the the Slack route?
0: Yeah, it was actually like, uh, well into my postdoc. Mm-hmm. So I had planned to quit academia after, well, after my master's and then after my PhD and then after my postdoc. Um, and it was like in the midst of my postdoc that I thought about applying for visiting assistant professorships. Um, I didn't think I would be competitive on the the tenure track market. And also I kind of tra- dropped the ball and like, didn't get to it in time or didn't think of it in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's why I applied for visiting, visiting Positions that that first year.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you like? How sure of you? Like at that first year? How sure were you that this was the direction you wanted to go?
0: Like the first year that I, was but, yeah, when you're applying for the
1: visiting job, were you like, "This oh. is what I want to do," and oh, I wish I had thought of it earlier, or were you like, "I don't know, I'm going to try it out and see if I like it"? Yeah, the it. latter. Yeah,
0: I was like, I was like, I think I might like this. I don't really know. I don't, like, I didn't really know what I was getting into even. Mm-hmm. Um, so not not at all sure. But then. Like my first year at Carlton, maybe my second year at Carlton, I was like, oh, yep, this is it. I want to, I want to die in this office. This Mm -hmm. is all I want to
1: (laughs) do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I just, one reason I ask is I think, um, some people just seem very sure of their career trajectory and whether, whether, Mm -hmm. whether they are, they just come off that way or whether it works out. I don't always know the end of the story, but, Mm -hmm. but many people, including me, uh, have not been sure right Uh and so some and sometimes sometimes you can think your way through it and you think oh, here are the pros and the cons and 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 i you know people have really good you know self-awareness and they can like reason it out uh and and that's not always been true for me i think sometimes you have to try it right Uh especially if it's a new thing you've never tried before and whether that's um anyway so we're talking about slacks today but if people don't have experience with that like maybe you don't know that you'll love it until you until you try it uh Or maybe that's true for like non-academic stuff too, right? Like I could never do a job besides this, but, but maybe you could, if you, if you had the chance. So this is, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want anyone to do anything drastic based on my advice, but, (laughs) but
0: I just quit and
1: try something else. But, um, but I do think there's something to be said for, um, yeah, anyway, sometimes you just need to experience it and you can't just think your way into a new career, you know, the perfect career, the first try.
2: Yep. Yep. Amen.
1: So, how do you apply for a job at at a Slack?
0: Okay, so um, I mean, how?
1: Obviously, you like find the job ad and you send them what they want. But like, what a lot of
0: forms and a lot of pieces of paper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, I guess I also want to do a little bit of a disclaimer too that your mileage may differ. Um, Different institutions are different. Um, The 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 pieces of advice that I have been thinking about um, are things that I have noticed in um, the 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 files of people who have applied and, you know, what I have noticed about what has, what has worked and, and what hasn't. Um, but of course you should collect lots of people's perspectives and, you know, follow the advice that that seems reasonable. Um, okay. So I think the, the, the first thing is to make sure you understand what uh, Slack is and and what it's about. Um, we get lots of uh we get lots of letters that basically look like people applying for every job that's available, whether it's a Slack or an R1, and and not like writing and not tailoring the letters to the different kinds of institutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get a letter, uh, like a cover letter that is, This is my amazing research. These are all my grants. I'm so great at research, blah, 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 and a sentence at the end that's like, I also value teaching, so I'd like to be at a small liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels like <laughs> I'm very a perfect tactile. fit for
1: your institution. <laughs>
0: Right. Um, and, and of course, places like Carleton do want people who are doing awesome research, um, but we also want them to make it clear that uh, they're excited about the prospect of teaching undergraduates how to do research and watching them grow and molding them as scientists and, you know, teaching, teaching in the lab as part of teaching. Um, So, so being able to say you know, to, to say things that make it clear that you understand that small liberal arts colleges are not like, oh, there's a good metaphor. Um, okay. People, sometimes people, people who are not vegetarians and don't understand vegetarianism, uh, may think of being a vegetarian as just taking your plate and scraping off the meat and eating everything that's left. Whereas vegetarians would tell you that it's just a different way of thinking about food. And Mm -hmm. it's not like your life minus meat it is your life minus meat, plus all kinds of things you don't know about, like tempeh and mm-hmm. quinoa. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and I think uh, thinking of slacks as taking an R1 and then scraping off some of the research um, is also not what a slack is about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is getting to, to, to really cultivate close relationships with students, work really closely with students uh, and like get excited about sharing in the intellectual journey of 18 to 23 year olds. Um, Not as something that you have to do, but as something that is, it is, you know, fun and exciting to do. Um, And also that, that it may be working with a different kind of student than, than you're used to working with also. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first thing is to like, If you're applying to slacks, make it clear that you're applying to slacks because you want to and not because you see them as some kind of fallback plan or as some kind of like, you know, junior varsity for Mm -hmm. our ones. The other really general piece of advice that I would offer is um, to try to get as much teaching experience um, as you can. Uh, And that is both so that you know if you like it, right? It may be that you start teaching and you realize you don't like it and then that isn't about advice for how to do this. It's about, you know, maybe maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, and the other reason to get a lot of experience teaching is so that you have things to say in your teaching statement about why you like teaching. What is it that you like? Um, and, and also like what kind of teacher you are. What kind of assignments do you do? What are your goals? Uh, what are things that have worked in your classes and things that haven't? Um, so the, the teaching statement is really an opportunity to, um, make it clear, uh, you know, what, what kind of faculty member you are and and you aspire to be.
1: Do you think I, I, am going to say something that I have no data for, but I think is true anecdotally, um, which is that at a lot of um, research schools, they all require teaching statements, but I've heard Mm -hmm. from lots of people that those count very little, um, and so, you, Wait, so, so applicants have the to do teaching them, statements. teaching statements count very yeah, little yeah, yeah. At, at like r one schools and things. And so uh-huh. the assumption is like, well, if you're, uh, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not condoning this point of view, but the, the point of view uh, many places is if you're a smart person, you can figure out the teaching. We're just going to hire you for your research. Um, and, and my, impre- so I think, I think that that is true at many, probably not all places, uh, at big research universities. Um, but I, I would say that at at a, at most slacks that is not true at all. That that the uh-huh. I'm going to guess that the teaching statement figures very heavily yep. uh, in, into the evaluation, and it's probably also really obvious if like you've never done teaching or or if you haven't thought about it or you know haven't yeah. like yeah you know, thoughtfully crafted your teaching statement.
0: Yeah, yeah. The um, right that idea of like if you're a smart person you'll you'll figure out the teaching um, uh, is 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 really funny because figuring out teaching, figuring out how to teach well is incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, I think teaching, especially at the college level, uh, if you don't, if you don't care about doing it well, I think would be super easy. Mm -hmm. Like I could definitely walk into a classroom with some slides and just, you know, yammer for 70 minutes about anything.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and that would not be very hard, but to do it, thoughtfully in a way that, you know, builds on what they learned about last time and scaffolds toward the teaching goals that you have in the long term and have assignments that give them the opportunities to build the kind of skills that you want them to have. Um, That's super hard to do well. Mm -hmm. I mean, let alone, you know, putting together lectures that are interesting and engaging and, you know, at pitched at the right level and all of that. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, slacks definitely care a lot about, about the teaching statement.
1: So here's the question. So you were, I liked your, your kind of vegetarian uh, metaphor um, but then, uh, you know, at least in your experience and not to, you know, put words in your mouth, but, but you also did not have a lot of experience, uh, before you had experience, right? There's like a little bit of a catch 22, right? So if you're, uh, if you're a graduate student or a postdoc at a big research university and you think you want to apply for a job at a Slack, that's fine. But then you don't have the, uh, you don't have the experience. So like, uh, so, so how do you get from, from point A to point B? right? Like how do you write a competitive application that shows you really understand what's like, and you sort of like live and breathe the culture, although you've never, you've never been there.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so I think the, um, getting as much teaching experience as you can helps with that, whether that is like TAing or guest lecturing or, uh, you know, being like the instructor of record being in charge of the class is, is the best, but, but it certainly isn't always possible. Mm -hmm. Um, but you want to be able to say in your teaching statement, I did everything I could to get teaching experience. And here's how I went above and beyond the bare minimum that the grad school requires to get that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as you do that, you're like, you're building up examples of um, things that you can talk about. I mean, I'm I'm doing this in a very like application centric way, but Mm -hmm. you're building up examples of things that you can talk about in your statement. You're also building up your teaching philosophy. This is such a, you know... The, the, the label, uh, you know, you're teaching philosophy, when I started doing that, I was like, oh, my philosophy, I don't know. I just, this is how I teach. Mm-hmm, and then I mm-hmm. like wrote for some pages and I was like, is this a philosophy? I don't know. But this is like how I think about teaching and how I approach it. And so mm-hmm. the more experience you get, the more you have to say about those kinds of things. Um, so even if y- the institution that you're at doesn't offer a ton, like that it's, that it's hard to, to be the instructor of record... Um, if you ask some of the faculty who, you know, if you can do some guest lectures for them, as you are preparing those guest lectures, you will realize, oh, I was going to talk about this thing first, but then I actually realize I have to talk about this thing first because they talked about this in a previous lecture, you know, and going through those exercises of like thinking about how to teach in the most effective way, mm-hmm. um, will give you some, some insights and give you some things to talk about in terms of, you know, when I am structuring my classes. I am keeping in mind what the students have already learned and how this is going to build, you know, and, and even those kinds of things are just demonstrating that you are thinking about things from a student's eye view and thinking about how to put information, you know, together in an interesting and accessible way. Um, and that's, you know, that's stuff to talk about.
1: I mean, a lot of universities, um, have, you you know, teaching centers that offer, uh, -hmm. training and, and, workshops on, on teaching. Uh, which I have to say I never did any of as a graduate student um mm-hmm. but 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 it's available I know, I know washu has has things like that too and and uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is true for WashU, but anyway most most of the time they're very happy to have graduate students uh, turn up at those and so there are things i again, I think doing more than the bare minimum um I mean it, it helps it look like uh you're you're interested, but that's because you actually are and then you actually learn things too right so it's kind of giving you a couple of um, a couple of, I don't want to say feathers in your cap, uh, um, arrows in your quiver. Anyway, a couple, a couple of different things that are going to help.
0: Yeah. And, and, the, um, you know, that then you also have more to say in your, in your teaching statement that say I was only able to be the instructor of record once, or I wasn't able to be the instructor of record, but I TA'd a bunch and I sought out, you know, I went to all of these workshops about, about pedagogy. Um, those are, those are the kinds of things that signal, to an admissions committee, um, oh, this person actually cares about and is interested in teaching and is doing everything they can to get that experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And and if all of those opportunities didn't happen like the week before you submit your application, even better.
0: (laughs) Even better. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, another, Another way that you can get experience with teaching without actually doing teaching or another good kind of experience for For Slacks is to get experience working with undergraduates in research. Um, So that's a big part of my job, right? Is the teaching in the lab, working with students on research. Um, And so if your lab has undergraduate research assistants, um, taking some time to talk with them and asking if they want to, you know, talk with you about an article or talk with you about the process of applying to graduate school or, you know, cultivating relationships with, with them. Um, that isn't something that I think would like make or break you, right? If I see a strong application, but they don't talk about how they have mentored undergraduates in their lab, that that's, you know, that's not, that's not a deal breaker at all. Um, but if you're having trouble getting like instructor of record positions, this can be a way to get something and also something to, to, you know, talk about in a teaching statement, um, uh, where, where you're talking about how one of the things that you're excited about is continuing to work with undergraduates on doing research.
1: So, so one thought I had—I don't know—well, um, this is not something I've done, but uh, it, it strikes me that if if someone thinks this would be a good career for them, that getting in touch with someone at a Slack and being like, "Hey, can I come visit your lab, or can I come sit on your class?" Um, would be a, a reasonable thing to do because uh, that gives you some some kind of hands-on experience with um, like a real a real live uh, a college campus um, mm-hmm. that might be different than the one you're doing your your degree or postdoc at. Uh, and it gives you a chance to kind of, um, you know, these conversations that, um, that Julie and I are having, like you could have that conversation with a real professor at a real, uh-huh. at a real Slack. And like, uh, maybe you'll, maybe you'll make connections. Maybe you can guest lecture in their class. Maybe you can, you know, maybe they're looking for people to teach a summer course or anyway, just trying to make connections at the um, local places, even if they're not hiring, just to kind yeah. of give yourself some more experience. Yeah. I,
0: um, I'm always eager to, to talk to graduate students and people at our ones um, who do similar research to what I do, because I'm excited to get my students to talk to grad students who are doing the same kind of stuff because, you know, basically I can be to grad students, what grad students can be to my undergraduates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, that's a great idea um, to build those connections, both so, so people can learn in both directions.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I mean, most of the time, I, this is true for lots of situations, but people are uh, generally very happy to hear from you, especially if you're offering something like to give a talk at their lab or give mm-hmm. a guest lecture mm-hmm. or whatever. Cause, Cause again, like you said, it's, it's, um, everyone benefits, but, but if they're too busy, they'll just not get back to you or tell you they're too busy. Uh, they're yep. not going to hate you. Yep. Yep. No
0: stakes. I recognize, too, as um, as I'm making all of these recommendations, I realize that like all of these things take time, right? And graduate students, I think, are notoriously busy and strapped for time. And so if if you are listening to this and thinking, wait, I thought I just had to do my research and fulfill mm-hmm. the obligations that the graduate school has for teaching, and now you're telling me to go to the Learning and Teaching Center and mentor undergraduates and talk to people at small liberal arts colleges, how am I supposed to fit all those things in? Um uh right. I all of these things take time and I don't think it's necessary to do every single one of these to be a competitive candidate. Part of figuring out part of figuring this out is like figuring out what kind of candidate you want to be. Right? Rather than just trying to check every single box, um think some about like what like what are the things about teaching that you want to really work on and get better at and focus on those. Mm-hmm. Um if you feel like you haven't had any experience um, mentoring people in research, maybe you would prefer to work on that. But, but I'm not saying that like, in order to be successful, you have to do every single one of these things. These are just, you know, things that I have seen work well in the past.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, another, yeah, another thing is, um, uh, that, that can be challenging, I think is, um, again, our, the, because of our background, Julie and I are sort of talking about this for, if you are at a bigger research university training, and then you're thinking about, you know, applying for a job at a slack, but, um, some advisors will be really supportive of this and others will either be um, less supportive or just like not be very helpful to you because they don't have any experience. And, and, you know, i like to think I would be supportive, but, but not that helpful because I wouldn't have experience. I would say, go, go talk to Julia. Um, mm-hmm. but I think trying to navigate, um, these demands on your time when not everyone might be as enthusiastic about it as you are, uh, is also challenging. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any, there's any magic sauce for that. You just have to sort of do what you can and, um, you know, kind of prioritize a little bit where you think you can make the biggest difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of research and what you can do to set yourself up um, to be successful at a Slack research-wise, um, there are... so So, Slacks differ tremendously in the kinds of resources that they have for research, you know, the kinds of startup packages that they offer, um, all all those kinds of things. But it would be extremely unusual for a Slack to, for instance, like have an FMRI, right? right. Like there are some places that would have uh collaborations with nearby bigger like nearby R1s where people can like use use an FMRI or something, but um the resources uh in, in that regard typically tend to differ. And so as you are thinking about your research program um, and the the kinds of questions that you're asking and the kinds of tools um, that you would use, it's important that those can actually reasonably be done with undergraduates at at a Slack, right? Mm -hmm. If if in order to understand the research that you're doing, you need a master's degree in computer science or something, it might be hard to get undergraduates involved in that. Mm I have been incredibly impressed at the extent to which my students are able to be like actual contributing, like actual collaborators in research, right? This is not like I'm making them a cute little canned research experiment, a research experience where I know exactly what we're going to do and how it's going to work. And I'm just letting them, you know, put their hands on it for a little bit. Um, like we're, we're doing science together, mm-hmm. right? The, the students who I have who are doing research with me are not, um, and, and, those who are co-authors these are not like courtesy co-authorships right mm-hmm. these are like if a if a faculty member did the amount of work that they did they would be on it in in just the same way um and so the kind of work that i do is is well suited for undergraduates because they can you know understand the the mechanics of the research like how we design studies, the stimuli that we use, the stimulus presentation software, those kinds of things. They can understand those pretty quickly. Um, and it will take a few terms to get caught up on, um, on the theoretical stuff, but, but it's, it's possible for them to to do that. Um, and when I was in graduate school, a lot of my work was, um, uh, I was doing some like computational modeling of spoken word recognition that takes a bit more, um, more of a learning curve. Like it would take more time in order for people to be like contributing to that in a meaningful way. Um, and so when I got to Carleton, I had a couple of lines of research going and shifted to the one that was best suited to, to being done at a Slack.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so I think it is good even early in graduate school, you know, if you're thinking about ending up at a Slack to be sure that you are actually doing research that you can do at a Slack.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that, and that's where sort of um not waiting to involve undergrads in your research is a good idea too, right? So if you have, you know, students in in the lab, or you could have students in the lab who are helping you, uh, I, that's a great chance to practice, like, you know, partnering with them and mentoring them in that, you know, in a, in a deeper way, right? Than just kind of giving them boring, uh, you know, copy this number into that spreadsheet. Um, yeah. You know, they're not really in, in, involved very much, and that's, that's your choice. And so I think there are different ways to, you know, to bring them into the projects.
0: Okay, so your so the 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 application package typically consists of a cover letter, which is like the abstract of the package, your teaching statement, which we've talked about uh, a bit, the the research statement, um, and then the other kind of key component is your uh, is the the letters of recommendation. Um, and the most common kind of uh, um, slip up that I see in letters of recommendation, um, and it is incredibly common, is that most letters say their research is so great. They're awesome at all these things. They've gotten these awards. I've never seen them teach, but I bet they'd be great. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that, I mean, I think that is incredibly common. Um, But when we have letters that say, they asked me to sit in on a couple of their classes and I did, and here's how they teach and here's how awesome they are. um, Those really stand out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so if you can ask one of your letter writers to, 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 come and see you teach um, or, you know, even like watch a recording of you teach if, you know, they're not available at the time. Um, That's, that's really great because that gives much more information about your teaching and about what you would be like as a teacher uh, than your advisor trying to extrapolate from how you are in lab meetings to Mm -hmm. what you would be like in the classroom. And it's, it's also, I think, totally reasonable to coach your letter writers a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't, you know, they don't work at a, slack and so may have less of a sense of what slacks are like than you do. Um, And so I think it's perfectly reasonable to say I'm applying for positions at liberal arts colleges. Supervising undergraduates is really important there. And so it would be great if you could point out how much I have worked with the undergrads in this lab Mm -hmm. and how much I have sought out teaching opportunities above and beyond what the grad school requires um, and things like that, because they will probably be grateful to know the kinds of things that you are hoping that they're able
1: to convey. And and the other thing, and this is uh, not always possible, um, but if you can plan ahead a little bit, right? So if you're thinking a year from now, I'm going to go on the job market and I would like, um, I would like my letter writers to say X, right? You could imagine what the letter would say. Oh, they've, they've done this and they've done that opportunity and I've observed them do this thing. Then you have a whole year to make that happen, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. sort of be aspirational about it. Um, whereas if you say, oh, this letter is due next week, uh, and then they say, well, I'd love to say you're you're a great teacher, but I've never seen you teach, you you know, you don't have time to fix that. Right. So I think again, if you, if you're in a position where you can talk to your letter writers early, if you know, um, then it gives you some time to help fill in, fill in the gaps.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, also I would recommend if you are. Planning to teach. Ooh, well, this is, hmm, I'm now thinking about how to update this advice in the era of COVID. Um, I was going to say, next time you're going to teach in a classroom, um, try to try to record it. Um, but I guess next time you're going to record a lecture, if <laughs> you're already recording it, or next time you're going to teach a Zoom class, record it. Um, seeing yourself teaching is uh, just like heartbreakingly terrible, but it's also really, really a great exercise in getting better at teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing the like verbal tics we have and weird ways we stand and dumb ways we talk that only become apparent when you watch a recording of yourself doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so it's, so it's useful as a, as a teaching technique. Um, but that's also useful because if it turns out that you're, advisor is going to be on sabbatical and isn't going to get to watch you teach or whatever you can, you could at least ask them to watch a video of you teaching mm-hmm. um, and and then have, have something to say about that.
1: Well, and in fact uh, I think maybe this is what you were sort of alluding to, but um, online teaching may be a, a mm-hmm. more and more of a component, which has its own, you know, uh, challenges. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, getting experience doing that, even if again, whether it's the instructor of record or not, um, but being able to talk about, about, the different considerations for teaching an online course or a hybrid course or whatever, um, is probably also useful. But, you know, it's, I, I think, I think it's safe to say Julia, but correct me if I'm wrong, all of these things, it's not so much that you have, you know, you have a box of things that you have to tick all the boxes and then you'll get the job. It's more like the overall gestalt of it is like the, you're, you're engaged and interested in trying to to, to step into that world. And, yeah. um, Uh, And show that you care, right. And, or demonstrate that you've, you've done some of this. So again, it's not that you have to do all these 20 things. Um, but it's more like if you don't do any of them, um, it doesn't really show your commitment. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, um, I I think it's very easy to kind of like, uh, start doing bean County comparisons between people, right? Like when I was Mm -hmm. looking at some of the other you know, people in my grad program, when people are going on the market, I was like, Oh, they've taught three of their own classes and they have X number of publications and they've taught stats. So they could offer to teach stats. And that's um, uh, at, at, I mean, I, I I think this is general, like true of the job market generally, but especially at small liberal arts colleges, um, people are looking for like the, the, the package, right? Like, um, uh, oh, what's the line about you hire the player, not the position. Is that it? Is that a thing in baseball? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but so, you know, at, at a, at a small liberal arts college where there are going to be, you know, maybe 10 people in the department, um, it is not possible to cover every single kind of expertise the way that a department who has 50 faculty in it ever could. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether you're a cognitive psychologist who studies speech or a cognitive psychologist who studies memory or, you know, like those, those are kind of different in, in the research end of things. But if they're looking for someone who can teach basic concepts in cognition and provide um, and provide meaningful research experience for, for students, um, whether or not you published in speech journal X or memory journal Y, like those, those things Mm -hmm. are not, the only things you need to care about. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so the kind of general advice that I would give is figure out the kind of teacher and the kind of researcher that you want to be and build up your credentials to be that kind of person. And then, you know, that is the package that you, that you put out there. You can't possibly be everything. And so, you know, you, you pick the, 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 the set of um, the set of skills and the research area that, that you're the most interested in. And then that's That's, that's what you advertise. Mm -hmm. I say that to kind of like try to reduce stress. of Like you can't be everything to everyone. So just, you know, you be you best. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and hopefully, hopefully the market will reward that. And sometimes it takes a couple of goes. Um, I think especially this year and probably the next couple of years, the market's not going to be like anything we have really seen before. Um, And so, you know, be, be gentle with yourself if things don't work out because mm-hmm. it's a tough time.
1: Did you, so I, I'm going to put a link uh, in the show notes to the um, psych job wiki, um, mm-hmm. which I actually didn't uh, anyway, for better or for worse, I did not. Uh, I, I looked at it a little bit when I was on the, on the job market, but I did, I was not um, compulsive about it, um, mm-hmm. but it is a good resource to know about it. The list listing of, um, you know, psychology jobs in the current year, uh, and there are a lot fewer of them now than there typically are this time of year, which may or may not change. Um, but anyway, oh, and look, there's one at Carleton College. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry, for oh. cellular molecular neurobiology. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so that's a good, it's a good resource to look at. I I advise you not to get too compulsive about checking back about things. But anyway, everyone has their own approach to this. Sorry, the, uh, uh, the wiki, the idea is the wiki gets updated. And so, um, there'll be a, a link to the ad. And then if someone gets called for an interview, then they'll update the wiki and say phone interviews have begun. And then if someone gets called for a campus visit, they'll update the wiki and say campus visits have been scheduled. Um, and so when I say be compulsive, you can sort of like refresh it every day to see how your favorite job is progressing. Um, which is informative, but I, I think people tend to get really stressed out about it. Uh, but it's a good it's a good collection of of ads anyway
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then of course uh have have people look at your materials um it's totally reasonable to ask your advisor to look at your teaching and research statement um I think it's great if you can find someone who has at a slack to have a look at them too um if you don't have anyone who fits that bill, get in touch with me and depending on how swamped i am i'll I'll try to help with that um uh I think it's, it's, it's nice to get a lot of sets of eyes on those, both because they just kind of catch things in, you know, ways, uh, catch things that you didn't mean or that come across differently than, than you might have expected. Um, and also because sometimes people say, Hey, you didn't talk about X, Y, Z, great feature of you. Um, mm-hmm. and so they can be nice ways of, of noticing the stuff that, that you missed that, that people might be interested to hear.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially um, people who have been on job search committees. Uh, I mean, yes, get all the eyes you can on it, but especially people who have had the experience of searching through um, all these applications, I think are especially useful.
0: Yeah. So for those of you who are about to put this advice to use, um, very good luck. As I said, feel free to reach out if you have have questions. Um, And if you have questions about anything else, feel free to reach out as well. Uh, juiceandsqueeze.net is our website. We have really enjoyed getting uh, getting all the emails that we have been lately. So please feel, feel welcome to keep those coming.
1: Yep, please do. And I think we're going to be taking a break in two weeks so I can sharpen my sword slash be traveling. But we'll be back soon.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right thanks, everyone. Care. Talk to you later.
1: Bye.